good evening. As we getting close to, to Easter, my tonight's Bible study is getting away from Isaiah for a little bit, and we're going to look at Good Friday. Uh, if you were at the church last year, as I did a Bible study on the week of the Passion Week, I started it a little too late, I guess you could say, for me, because I think it was close to June before we ever got Jesus into the tomb. So I decided to this time I was just going to do just Good Friday and then get to looking at it. I said, wow, I could spend quite a while on Good Friday just by itself. Um, so, But I'm going to try to hit the highlights tonight as we get ready for Easter. I want to share with you some information about Good Friday as we do a little study on it. As we get started, and that's a, I want you to remember to continue to pray. You know, as as things continue to change and almost day to day with the with the COVID virus and the, the things that are happening, I ask you to lift each other up in prayer. We have many who are at home uh, this week alone. We've had many who have lost their jobs because of this. Uh, trying to draw unemployment. Some are finding they can't draw unemployment. So this is a, a life-changing event for many that are associated with our church. I ask you to lift each of them up and remember those who who have received word that they're being laid off and and pray for one another. Pray for those who are the the essential employees who are continuing to have to work. You know and. Uh, it's a scary time for everybody, so let's go to the Lord in prayer, then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you humbly tonight, thanking you for all the things that you do. Father, this week is being Passion Week. Father, I pray that we take time to remember what you've done for us and how you poured yourself out for each one of us. Father, in this difficult time that we're living in, Lord, it'd be so easy to forget what this week's all about. So, Father, I pray you draw us closer to you. Lord, we, we lift up those who are hurting. Lord, those who have, have lost their jobs. Those who, Lord, that have just experienced things in their family. Because of this, I pray you're with each one of those. Lord, you know our prayer requests and the things that are going on. We ask you to, to intervene in those situations. Father, you could just show up, do a miracle, and just remove this sickness. But, Lord, we know there's a plan for everything. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, just help us to understand your will during this time. Comfort those who are in need tonight, Father. I pray that you bless us in a mighty and wonderful way. Lord, and just let us focus on you during this coming week. In the Lord's name I pray, amen. Like I said, we're talking about Good Friday tonight, so one thing I want to share with you is important to remember how Jewish days ran. Uh, you know, we, we count our days from basically uh, different than the Jews did. Theirs ran from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. So Good Friday for them basically started Thursday night at 6 p.m. And between on Thursday night between 6 and 9 p.m., there was the Last Supper at the house in southwest Jerusalem. And it's also when Judas leaves to go fetch the soldiers. Around 10 o'clock that night, probably, uh, many of these times we're not really sure on, but it'd be close to 10 o'clock, Jesus and the disciples leave and go to Gethsemane. Uh, in the Kidron Valley, which is just northeast of Jerusalem. And as they're gone there, they've gone to pray. It was a place Jesus went many times when he was at Jerusalem. So Judas
Judas would be very familiar with this. And between 11 and 2 a.m., Jesus leaves the disciples and he goes to pray for about three hours. And he goes back twice and remember the disciples are asleep. And he wakes them and he tells them to pray. This is where we get the thing, you know, indeed uh, the, 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 the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak because he told them that. And it's also during this time you have to remember is Jesus, he's in anguish. He knows what's fixing to come. He's praying. Uh, the, the Bible tells us that his sweat was pouring out like blood. So this had to be very antagonizing and painful. And so it would just just in a mighty way here. So, you know, the angels come to his aid and, and Jesus is in charge basically still. And, you know, we have to remember that. Uh, he knows what he's fixing to face, and he, he's, but he's going ahead and doing it. Between 2 and 5 a.m., somewhere in that time, uh, the the soldiers show up with Judas. And Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, and, and Jesus is arrested. We know it's between these times because the first trial takes place not long after this. Uh, one thing to remember is when they come to arrest Jesus, and they ask him who he is, and he says the words, I am Judas, and all the soldiers fell back. This is a great display of Jesus' divinity. It shows us that at any time during the crucifixion, he could have spoke up and stopped it. But it shows the love he has for us, that he did not do that. He continued on with that ability and that power. May I tell you, if I would have had the ability to do that, there's so many times, you know, I'd rather just say, hey, I've had enough. But Jesus continued on for that. Trapp said this, he said about this, he said, here the Savior let out a little beam of majesty of his deity and 500 men fell before him. So, you know, it's a, it's a miraculous thing. Now, between the hours of four and six, they buy Jesus, they take him to his trial, and at first they take him to Anais's residence. He was the previous high priest. He's not the high priest now, that'd be Caiaphas, but Ananias, it was kind of the one who pulled the strings, I guess you could say. Uh, John 18, verses 13 through 14 tell us, and they led him away to Ananias first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, 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 excuse me, I'll spit it out in a minute, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So uh, little did he know when he was doing this that he was prophesying. Like I said, they take him to Anais. Anais is the power behind the throne. He had been high priest. He had four sons that had held the priesthood. And Caiaphas is his son-in-law. So you know, uh, there, there's a passage in the Talmud which says, Woe to the house of Ananias, woe to their servants hiss. They are high priests and their sons are keepers of the treasury. And their son-in-laws are guardians of the temple. Their servants beat the people with staffs. So Ananias and his household were basically notorious in how they acted. So Jesus is taking there, and it's a, a it's a false trial. They 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 try to take they try to all kind of things to to accuse Jesus of all kind of stuff like the the he was breaking the law and all this. But they had already made it up in their minds and their hearts they were going to kill him. But the law Roman law forbid them to do that. So at six o'clock in the morning. They take Jesus after he's been to Ananias and then he goes to Caiaphas' residence. You know, he stays there, and so he's at the high priest. Now, the high priest, let me back up, the high priest was, was taken from the Sadducees. 
at this time. Uh, and, and basically, they were aristocrats who followed the traditions and the laws of Moses, but they had very zero faith when it came to angels or spirits. Uh, so we, we know that their, their belief in God was kind of skewed to start with. So Jesus, they take him, though, after this and uh, go to the Pilate's house. Now, when they're at Ananias and they're at Caiaphas's house, this is where Peter also denies Jesus. But let's go Let's go to 6 o'clock in the morning. They take Jesus to Pilate's. He's before Pontius Pilate. Jesus, uh, he, he stays there a little bit. He sends him over to, to Herod. Then back to Pilate. All this happens in this this brief period of time here. So when he's led to Pilate, the Roman go- governor, he didn't allow uh, the Jewish leaders to, uh, to execute authorities. So that's why they took him to or execute criminals. So that's why they took Jesus to Pilate in hopes of having him executed. So you know they uh, they they tried everything. They 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 Philo, the ancient Jewish scholar from Alexandria, described Pilate because they they thought if we take him to him, he's cruel. But listen to what he said. He says his corruption and his acts of insolence and rapine and his habit of insulting people and his cruelty and continuing murders of people untried and condemned and never ending gratuitous and most grievous in humanity. So he was he was known to be cruel. So they probably thought, well, we can take him to Pilate. Pilate will put him to death just because he don't like people. So uh, verse 2 tells us, here it says that at the same time, the Jewish leaders knew that Pilate would be unconcerned with the accusations of blasphemy. So they brought three false accusations against Jesus. They said Jesus was a, was a revolutionary. He was perverting the nation, that he incited people not to pay their taxes, and that Jesus claimed to be a king in opposition of Caesar. So if we look at these verses... And, and let me pull this back. We're going to go, we're in Luke chapter twenty-three, by the way. Luke chapter twenty-three is where we're going to be work looking at for just a little bit here. As we we're going to get into this, let me pick my Bible back up. I just dropped it. Luke twenty-three, and we're going to be looking at verses three and four. As they've asked Jesus, they they've made this claim that Jesus is the King. Listen to to Pilate's response here. I I really like what he says here. In verse 3 and 4. And, and Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him, saying, Thou say it. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. I think what he, he looked, he said, Well, if you're the king of the Jews, I don't find no fault in you. Uh, they don't seem to like you. So that kind of shows you the kind of man that he was. He, he, he didn't really care for the Jews. He didn't care for the high priest. And he just... He don't see nothing wrong with it. This man claimed to be the, the priest. That's fine. You know, his verdict, even though he was cruel and ruthless, he wasn't stupid, I guess you could say. So he kind of saw through the the motives of the, the leaders. They got a problem with him, almost like let them deal with it. Now, in verse 5, we see their response. It says, and they were more fierce, saying, he stir up the people, teaching throughout all jury, beginning with Galilee to this place. So basically, they said he was he, he was a problem maker, and he was going everywhere and doing it. So Pilate asked for a he finds a way out when they say this because they say that he was from Galilee. He was doing it from Galilee. So he's like, so is he from Galilee? Is the question 
he basically asked in verse 7. And so as soon as he found out he was from Galilee, Pilate sends him to Herod. Now, Pilate and Herod did not have a very good relationship. You know, they kind of hated each other. Uh, you know, one time, Herod in his life had expressed some religious interest. And when he heard the word of God from John the Baptist, and you look it up in Mark chapter 6, verse 20, yet he continued in his sin, and he was hardened against God and against his word. So basically, he became, he didn't have no consciousness whatsoever. His only interest was to be desired and amused. Listen to what it says when, here. It says, as soon as he knew he would belong to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he had hoped to have seen some of the miracles done by him. So what Herod wanted was basically a show. Now think about something. Jesus was from Galilee. Herod's rule was in Galilee, but yet the whole time he never goes to hear Jesus' words. The words didn't, it probably would have convicted him, so he just didn't go. Now, he goes to Herod, and of course when he, when Jesus is before Herod, he doesn't say anything to him. He, he doesn't answer him. He doesn't talk and that kind of makes Herod mad and so listen to what happens when he questions it said verse 9 says when he questioned with him many words he answered him nothing the chief priest and the scribe stood and bellamently accused him and Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate it says in that same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together before they were at intimacy between themselves. So, but you th what made them become friends? They only had one thing in common, and that was a dislike for Jesus, I guess you could say. So basically, two sinners become friends because of the sin in their life. And that's the only true reason behind it. So we, we see this happening. Now, he sends them back to to Pilate, and this is about 7 o'clock. So all this took place in about an hour. So really nothing much happened. So it's as short as Luke writes it, that's kind of about as short as it took. Now in Luke 23, verses 13 through 16, he's at he's there with Pilate, and it says and, when, and Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people, and behold, I have examined him before you and found no fault in this man touching those things where you accuse him of. Nor, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Pilate clearly, he, he was clearly and eloquently here. He declares that Jesus is innocent of any crimes, but to satisfy them, he says, I'm basically going to chastise or he was going to, uh, to beat him. This wasn't a white, uh, a light punishment. You know, it, it's pretty rough. Roman custom of scourging is a brutal whipping. This is the, the cat of nine tails that we know have heard about, which has in the, the, the leather pieces, piece fragments of bone and metal and, and things such as that. So that when they would whip somebody 
what they did, they didn't whip it like you would a bull whip. They'd take it and they'd slap it down on your back and it would dig in those pieces and just rake it across and the whole time pulling hunks of meat out of your back. It wasn't unusual for people to die of the scourging because it was so brutal. Now, you have to think about something. He had just said Jesus was innocent. So, this, this wasn't just at all. This uh, An innocent man doesn't deserve punishment like this. He was just doing this um, because of the hatred and the kind of heart that he had. You know, uh, the, the Romans called scourging verbitrio. Uh, it was possible the worst kind of flogging that there was possibly ever done. You know, the Jews administered whippings in the synagogues for certain defense, but those things were mild by comparison, you know, uh, they didn't even beat animals this bad. Uh, so we know that this was a horrible thing. It was a, uh, it was a considered such a degrading form of punishment that, that according to Portia in 248 BC, uh, the Samaritan laws, Roman citizens were exempt from it because it was so bad. It was only given to non-Romans and slaves. So they, they were going to, he said, I'll, I'll do this and release him. But we said that wasn't enough. You know, they, they didn't want Jesus maimed. They didn't want Jesus hurt. What they wanted was Jesus dead. So he, he does this and listen to what it says. He says, you brought me this man. He says, uh, he said, he said, therefore I chastise him and for necessity, he must release one of them into the feast. After the feast, and he cried out at once, saying, Away with this man. They cried out at once, releasing this Barabbas, who was a certain sedition made in the city for a murderer, was cast into prison. So, tradition had it that at the feast, Pilate would release a prisoner, and they would ask for it by name. But here, think of what they asked for. They asked for Barabbas. Barabbas was guilty of sedition and murder. He was a killer and a troublemaker. And they would rather have that than the Son of God. Isn't that like so many people today? People would rather live a life of sin and, and misery than accept Christ as their Savior. So many people say, well, I'd have to give up so much. But what are you giving up? You know, what's? I think of the things I, oh, I, I gave up. For Christ, and I'm so glad I did because my life is so much better without things in it. And, and but people in their hearts would rather have sin than they would happiness. And, and you think about day, I, I meet many people who would rather live in misery than live in happiness. They would rather uh, have problems than have joy. You know, I still have problems, but I have joy. I still have things that happen to me, but I have a God who loves me. One of the greatest things I've experienced this week in itself is when I'm having problems, I'm having issues, my brothers and sisters in Christ lifting me up in prayer and that peace that comes only from God through their prayers. Just, I don't see how people could live without it, but people choose to be this. So instead, what do they do? They cry out to crucify. Crucify him, crucify him, they say. And you think, you know, imagine that many of this crowd were probably the same ones who, when just a few days before, cried out Hosanna to Jesus. And now they're saying crucify. People just go along with what a crowd thinks. And that, that's the problem with the world today. If, 
if I, somebody over here is saying it, many will agree with it, not even looking at the the, the facts. We're, we're a world led by emotions, and that's what was happening here. The crowd rejected Jesus. They embraced Barabbas, whose name means son of the father, who was a terrorist of murder. You know, I've thought about this. If anybody could ever say, Jesus died for me, it was Barabbas. You know, Jesus basically took his place. So it tells us, though, as you go a little further, it tells us that that he delivered Jesus to their will. You know, some people say he, he washed his hands of Jesus. You know, that didn't do no good. All he did was try to relieve his own conscience. He knew that it was something that he had done wrong. Now, at 8 o'clock that morning, Jesus is led to be crucified. Now, according to the way the timeline falls, Jesus was whipped and then led away to the crucifixion. So, he had been humiliated. There was a time when the after the, the whipping, when they, they ripped the hide off him, he's bleeding continuously. They, they the, the Roman soldiers put a robe on him and they mock him. They put the crown of thorns onto his head. And it, they, they, they try to humiliate him. And all this time, Jesus said nothing. Because of you, because of me. And at 8 o'clock in the morning, in a weakened physical condition because of the scourge, scourging, he had been up all night. He had been in anguish in the garden. And now he has to carry a cross to Calvary. Twelve hours between 9 p.m. and 9 a.m., Jesus suffered many things, both physically and mentally. His guys abandoned him. Peter denied him. He had been beaten, spit upon. His beard had been pulled out. He had been beaten with a scourge. Yet he continued on. He had not had any sleep. And it's a two and a half mile walk. So that's why the Bible tells us here that as he's led away to crucifixion, He's being forced to carry this cross. Now, many people see the picture of Jesus carrying a full piece of cross. He didn't. They would carry the beam. A full entire weight of a cross is about 300 pounds. There's no way anyone could carry that. So the the victim that was going to be crucified carried the crossbar. It weighed anywhere from 75 to 125 pounds. They were usually stripped naked, and their hands were tied to the, the piece of wood as they carried it. It was meant to humiliate. Like I said, this is a long walk. He, he's two and a half miles carrying this. The the upright beings with the cross were usually folk outside the, the, the city gates so that everyone would see them every time they came in as a reminder of Roman rule. But on the way in Jesus' weakened condition, there was a man named Simon 
the Bible tells us that that he was forced to carry the cry, cross. Look at this in verse 26. It says, And they led him away, and they laid hold upon one, Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. Now, Roman law said you didn't have a, a say in it. Uh, you... you you, you were, if they told you to do something, you had to do it. So no doubt, you know, Simon visiting, he was a pilgrim visiting Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, his home was about 800 miles away. He probably didn't know nothing about Jesus. Probably had no desire to be associated with him, but he's compelled to do it. Uh, you know, we, we have, we're, we, we see this and uh, think about this. The Bible basically, it doesn't tell us but we have reason to believe that Simon came to know what it really means when Paul said, take up your cross and follow Jesus because there's some evidence in the Bible that suggests his sons become leaders among the early Christians. Mark 15, 21 and Romans 16, 13 mention them. So what an awesome thing if this is what tr- happened, you know. So here we are at eight o'clock, two and a half miles later, they reach Calvary. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Luke 23, verses 32 and 33 tells us this. It says that when they were also the other two malefactors led out to be put to death, when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there where they crucified him, the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And so here we have Jesus and he, he's, he's come to Calvary, which means a place of the skull. And this is where they, they crucified all their criminals. Uh, Pate said this. He says, a telling criticism that Fitzmer, the Jesuit theologian, observes in a side comment on verse 32 that the account of Jesus' road to the cross says nothing about the 14 stations of the cross, such as the falls of Jesus, the meeting with his mother, or with Veronica, who is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. But such later traditions, through certain sentimental and appeal, seem to have no historic basis. So we don't see this stations of the cross that many talk about. It says they crucified him. In the days the New Testament was written, practice of crucifixion need no explanation. In many generations since then, most people don't appreciate what a person experienced in the ordeal of execution by crucifixion. Uh, although the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, they perfected it is the best way to put it. It was designed to be a slow death, and very painful, and a lot of suffering. Uh, li- li- listen to this. The combination of the scourging and the crucifixion made the death of the cross especially brutal. The victim's back was first torn open by the scourging, and the clotting blood was ripped open again when the clothes were torn off before the crucifixion. The victim was thrown to the ground to fix his hands to the crossbeam. The wounds on his back again were torn open and contaminated with dirt. Then, as the victim hung on the cross, each breath caused painful wounds on his back to scrape against the rough wood of the upright beam. When the nail was driven through the wrist, it severed the large median nerve. The stimulated Nerve produced excruciating bolts of fiery pain in both arms and also gave the victim a claw-like grip in his hands. Beyond the extreme pain, the major effect of crucifixion was to restrict normal breathing. 
The weight of the body pulling down on the arms and shoulders tended to fix respiratory muscles in an inhalation state and hinder exhalation. The lack of adequate respiration resulted in severe muscle cramps, which further hindered breathing. To get a good breath, the victim had to push against the feet and flex the elbows, pulling from the shoulders. Putting the weight of the body on the feet produced searing pain, flexing the elbows, twisting the hands, hanging on the nails. Lifting the body for a breath, also painful, scraped the back against a rough wooden post. Each effort to get a proper breath was agonizing and exhausting and would lead to death. Not uncommonly, insects would light upon and burrow in the open wounds of the eyes and the ears and the nose of the dying and helpless victims. Many times, birds of prey would tear at these sights. Moreover, it was customary to leave the corpse on the cross to be devoured by predatory animals. Death of the crucifixion could come in many sources. Acute shock from blood loss, being too exhausted to breathe any longer, dehydration, stress-induced heart attack, or congestive heart failure leading to a cardiac rupture. If the victim did not die quickly enough, his legs were broken. The victim was soon unable to breathe because of the posture of the crucified person. How bad is crucifixion? We get our English word excruciating from the Roman word out of the cross. It'll make you think sometimes. And the Bible says, and they crucified him. And you think, Jesus was in control of this whole situation the whole time. He said in John 10, 18, no one takes instead of his life. He said, no one takes it from me, but I'll lay it down myself. So he did this for you and for me, every excruciating piece, everything that happened. It's important to understand that this 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 act, this thing that happened, we read it in the four gospels, hear about it throughout the other books of the New Testament. But there were other writings that talked about Jesus being crucified. A letter written by Mara Bar Sherponian to his son in AD seventy three talked about it. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote about it in AD 90. Tactus, the Roman historian, wrote about it in 110 to 120. And the Babylonian Talmud, which was written in AD 200, talked about it. Now notice it said Jesus had a sent these malefactors, one on each side. So in his death, he's he's identified with sinners as the, the scripture says but listen as they did this to Jesus verse 34 Jesus says Father forgive them for they know what, what they do you know here Jesus is being tortured humiliated and what does he do Father forgive them that's to remind us no matter how bad things get sometimes we need to say Father 
forgive them. We need to be more like Jesus. The Bible says they divided his garments and cast lots. Then on the cross, Jesus didn't hold on to any material possessions. And so let us be reminded that when you die, you can't take it with you. Sometimes we work for the wrong things. At 10 o'clock, Jesus is insulted and mocked. Listen to this in verse 35 to 37. It says, And the people stood beholding, the rulers also with them, derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be the Christ, then he chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering vinegar. Say, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Imagine that being mocked as you're being tortured. It tells us that, that they they wrote above his name the subscription. The inscription that was written in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the King of the Jews. You know, and John tells us that they 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 the religious leaders objected to it. They said it was false. They didn't believe Jesus was the King of the Jews. They wanted it said he he claimed to be. Pilate said, nah, no, we're leaving it up. I've written what I've written. A written charge was usually carried by the criminal on his way to execution. They hung it around his neck a lot of times and fixed it on the cross, kind of showing them this is why we're doing this to this guy. They didn't even have a reason to do that to him. At 11 o'clock, Jesus has been on the cross three hours. Imagine the, the, the pain. At 11 o'clock, as the, the sinners or one of them was hollering at them, if you be the Christ, save themselves and us. The other one, something at three hours, something opened his eyes and his heart. Listen to what he says. He says, but the other answer and rebuke him says, Is I not fear God? See, now are in the same condemnation. We indeed justly, for we receive this due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You know, the second criminal with respect to God. He knew his sins. I'm, I'm getting what I justly deserve. But he also knew Jesus had done that their own. He cries out to him. He calls him Lord. He believed who Jesus was. You know, maybe he had heard him. Maybe he had heard Jesus talk. Maybe he had heard about Jesus. But it don't tell us, but he knew about the kingdom. Jesus answered him and said, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The first saved person, I guess you could say. A criminal. The first one who goes to heaven for crying out to Jesus. 
people say, but you don't know what I've done. <laughs> Does it matter? What matters is if you'll cry out to Jesus. That's what matters. You imagine the, the, the criminals, how it was. But it made it during just a little bit easier. That's funny, the word paradise is par- paradisio. It's a per- Persian word meaning garden park. And for, for those who lived in that area in that time period, that would be something great. A desert area. Basically, this would be a wonderful park. A garden. Something great. At 12 o'clock, the sixth hour, something wonderful happens in a way. The darkness. It's a remarkable darkness because it shows the agony of creation itself. Estebus, quoting the writing of Philogon, the Roman historian, in which he makes mention of an extraordinary solar eclipse as well as an earthquake about the time which would correspond with the time of the crucifixion. So this is documented not only here in the Bible, but elsewhere that this happened. When people say that I doubt, they doubt the word of God. Writings show that it happened. Now, Luke tells us the sun was darkened, but Mark makes it clear in his writings that it stayed dark for three hours. It was a darkness over the whole land. So this is an extraordinary darkness. That's what's so awesome about it. Listen to this. Like on the, here's what the, the Roman historian wrote. He said, In the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, there was an extraordinary eclipse of the sun. At the sixth hour, the day turned into dark night so that the stars in the heaven were seen, and there was an earthquake. So, I mean, this is amazing. You know, and I, I know what most historians say. Okay, well, this is an eclipse. It gets dark. Boom, boom, boom. You know, a couple of years back, I remember being at work when the eclipse happened. And it got dark. And it was like, you if you blinked, you missed it. But this was a three-hour eclipse. You know, uh, now, this is especially remarkable because it, during a full moon, which Passover was always head, held at and is always still held at it would be impossible for a natural eclipse to happen because the moon is what gives us the eclipse during the day and it's a full moon at night you can't have a full moon at night and a moon moving in front of the sun in the day it can't happen but history shows it did now an hour into this darkness at one o'clock Jesus cries out to the father now, listen to this. We know this in Mark chapter 15, verses 34 through 35. It says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthian, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some people said that he, he cried out for Elijah. 
But no, he, he was crying out for his father. He's quoting Psalms 22. Is what he was doing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his back on him because of you, because of me. God, who knew no sin, sent his son to be a sacrifice for us. Isaiah said that it pleased the Lord to do this. God allowed this to happen because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. At two o'clock, John 19, verse 30. Listen to this. Let's over and read this. when Jesus therefore received the vinegar he said it is finished he bowed his head and gave up the ghost his final words testilia in the ancient Greek was a cry of a winner Jesus finished his eternal purpose on the cross as it stands today it's a finished work you don't need to add nothing to it your works don't get you into heaven your your actions don't. It's what Jesus did on the cross. You know, a single word can, set of words can change anything. Not guilty in a court. Law could change everything. The call of balls fair or foul changes everything in the good, in a, in a ball game. When a woman says yes to marriage, it changes a life. You tell somebody goodbye. It can change things forever. It is finished. Changed it all. It was a con- Spurgeon said this. It was a conqueror's cry. It was uttered with a loud voice. There was nothing of anguish about it. There was no wailing in it. It was the cry of one who completed a tremendous labor. Moore said Jesus died with the cry of victory on his lips. Not the moan of defeat or the sigh of a patient resignation. It was a triumphant resignation that he fully accomplished the work he came to do. The verb tilo, to finish, was used in the first and second centuries. The sense of fulfilling or paying a debt. It was finished. Everything's paid for. Everything's done. The sacrifice and ceremonies of the priests were finished. Christ's perfect obedience was finished. The satisfaction of God's justice was finished. The power of Satan, sin, and death was finished. It was finished. The Bible tells us that, listen to what he said. Luke said that it was Jesus cried with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commit my commend my spirit. His work on the cross accomplished. You know, we we realize that when he says he commends the spirit, he's saying, Father, I'm coming home. 
three o'clock in the afternoon. The day ends in three hours. Matthew 27 verses 51 to 52 tells us about the earthquake that happens. Listen to, listen to his words. And behold, the bell of the temple was rent twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. The graves were opened and the bodies of the saints which slept arose. They came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, I'd like to get into that. We'll get into that at a different time. But here, the veil was torn. The veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was, was opened up. Basically, there's nothing between you and God now. The Bible says in Hebrews, you can boldly approach the throne of God. We have the ability to go to the Father herself. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to offer a sacrifice. It's all been done. It's all been paid for. We have that wonderful joy of knowing that it is finished. The temple was opened up. The earthquake, rocks were split. split. Nature itself was shaken by the death of the Son of God. If the Son of God's death does not shake your heart, there's something wrong with it. Now I'm going to breeze through what happens for the rest of the time. We know that as I'd like to really get into the the the, the, the controversial verse about the, the dead rising, but we'll get to that later. In Luke chapter 23, verse 30, 47 says, When the centurion saw what was done, you got to remember here he's seen the dark, he's seen Christ die, he's seen the earthquake, and he glorifies God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. The, the Gentile centurion immediately gave glory to God and understand Jesus for who he was. You know, it's funny, he's the only one recorded that did that at that time. And I'm sure the centurion seen many people crucified, yet there was something remarkable about this. Now the soldiers come to break legs because here it is, it's getting close to Passover, the, the preparation day, and Jewy, the Jews didn't want bodies left on the cross, so Pilate agreed to this. You know, this was a long-standing agreement that they would... Uh, break the legs so that the people would die quicker. You break the legs, you die within an hour or so. So It says, when the soldiers break the legs of the first and then the other which was crucified him, so they broke the sinner who had repented, then they broke the other guy's legs. Then when they came to Jesus, they saw he was all dead, already dead, so they didn't break his legs. But one soldier, you, know, you had to make sure, you couldn't just say, well, he looks dead to me. You had to know. So they pierced his side and blood and water came out. So, and it wasn't flowing blood because what it amounts to is there's so much fluid around the lungs and around the heart that if, if he would still been alive, it would have been intermingled. But it came out separate. So that showed that he was dead. Plus, when they stabbed him, it's not just we just barely pricked him. They took that Roman spear running up underneath his ribs all the way to the heart. If he wasn't dead before, he was dead then. So it was preparation day. This refers back to John's statement, John chapter 19, verse 14. And it, it kind of... It's hard to understand some of the timeline with some of the things that are going on here. But we're looking at this from different viewpoints. 
so that they, they the body should not remain on the cross for the Sabbath. They, they take them down. So they, they're, they, they've killed these guys. They're dying. You know, everything's fine. They're getting, fixing to take them off the cross. Now, the, the Bible tells us that uh, they came to take the body. And here we have that. Let me, let me get back to Luke right quick. Or let's look at John. Let's stay in John. After this, Joseph Pharisee, and being a disciple of Christ, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came Nicodemus, which first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe and a hundred pounds of weight. And they took the body of Jesus, wound it in linen cloths and spices as the manner of the Jews to bury now there was a place that was he was crucified. There was a garden near the place he was crucified. There was a garden in the garden, a new sepulcher, and wherein there was never a man laid. Now they laid Jesus there, for because the Jew preparation day, and the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So here we see that night you have these two men come, and they they dress Jesus's body. You know what an awesome, wonderful thing that they did here. Uh, for Jesus, it, it was it was it was an act of love, you know. His own disciples weren't there. These two men who were secretly, I guess you could say, uh, disciples. Roman tradition said you left the bodies just laying out for the birds and the beasts to eat, but they 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 allowed this. Evidently, Joseph must have had some sway with with Pilate to be able to do this. You know, the the narrative implies that it doesn't mention that Joseph took the body off the cross. We don't know. And you think the removal of a bloody, dirty body of Jesus from the cross and iron spikes hell must have been a difficult thing to do. Also probably very emotional. Here's the man whom you you followed, the man whom you, you believed in and he's dead. His mother's probably nearby. It says they, they bound in strips. They did what they could. About 100 pounds of, of this myrrh and aloe would have been just an amazing amount of money. You know, they, they basically what they would do for a body most of the time, they'd remove all form matter from it. They'd wash it. They'd clean it. But... For time, they didn't have the time to do it. But these two men did what they could for the man they loved. They didn't have long. And you ask yourself, what do you do for Jesus from day to day? Oh, we give him uh, an hour on Sunday and complain if the preacher goes too long or if the music's not what we wanted to hear, if the air's not just right. What do you do for Christ? These two men did a lot in very little time. For if they would have waited much longer, they wouldn't have been able to do it. The law told them they could. This showed how much they loved Jesus. He's in the grave. That's where a lot of us leave him. Where's Jesus in your life? Where's Jesus in my life?
do we leave them in the grave? Or what? Good Friday. Strange name for it, isn't it? But the best thing, it was good for you and it was good for me. I can't wait till Sunday. Because that death paid for my sins. But the resurrection gives me hope and gives me life. I pray you have a blessed week. You think about the cross. You think about those six hours on Friday that Jesus hung on the cross for you. I hope you have a blessed and wonderful week. Love you.